Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Are you thankful for that invitation this morning? Because we, we were a motley crew of misfits, weren't we? But in Jesus Christ, family, we still are. We still are. But he's turned us into a, a, new, a new motley crew, a family. And um, this is, what a blessing. What a blessing. Hey, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, would you? We're going to take a break from Mark because um, we get to do something really special here. Every, we, we celebrate it quarterly at Dublin First Baptist, the Lord's Supper. And so uh, I, I totally stole this title, but it's not plagiarism um, because I'm going to cite it. Uh, and if you've got anyone ages 4 to 7, we've got a junior church, you can uh, come, we're family, you can come up here and have them go out, don't worry about disruption or anything like that, it's not disruption. So thank you, Joel, for um, ministering to our kids. But uh, I titled this A More Perfect Union, it, it, I borrowed it from the preamble to the Constitution of the United States. But the union that we have with Jesus Christ, that we've sung about all morning, for those who've trusted him as their Savior, the union we have with Jesus Christ and with each other by God's grace through faith, that's exactly what we celebrate today, a, a, a more perfect union with no offense intended to that beautiful document and the ideas behind it and the freedoms that flow from it. Um, what we celebrate in the Lord's Supper is the, is the most perfect union. And um, it's perfect in that it's without flaw. It's perfect in that it's complete and eternal. So I'd like to read second, uh, or Philippians 2, uh, verses 1 through 8, and then we're going to read a little bit further later on, but just really focus on verses 1 to 8 this morning. It says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation. He took upon himself the form of a servant. He was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Before we study this together, let's pray. Lord, we have here the mind of Jesus Christ described in detail. And we have here a call for followers of Jesus Christ to, to follow him in like-mindedness together. We have a call here for followers of Jesus Christ to follow him all the way to the cross. It's difficult. We battle self. We battle division. That's Satan's plan. Always trying to get in to our hearts, to our families, 
even to churches, to wreck the union that you paid so much for, the union we have with you, the union that we have together. And so, Lord, I pray that today we'd celebrate that union, um, first of all, in our hearts, then together in this ordinance you've given us, and then by changed lives, that we live in such a way that others would see the union we have with Jesus and the union we have with each other, and they'd say, I want that. How do I get it? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1 talks about the encouragement that we have to live uh, in union with Jesus Christ. Paul encourages the church at Philippi here to live in union with Christ. And it's going to require us to recognize what that even means. He's talking here about position. And uh, if you look, there's a lot of ifs in verse 1. John Wolverd, great theologian, uh, modern-day theologian and uh, professor at Dallas Theological Seminary said that these ifs are really probably better translated as senses because he's not talking about uncertainties here in verse 1. So let's change the ifs to, to senses. Since there is consolation in Christ, since there's comfort of love, since there is fellowship of the Spirit, since there is bowels and mercies, King James kind of different there, right? It means affections. Uh, there is all those things. Those aren't ifs. They're not uncertainties. They're realities that you have as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a born-again believer. Do you know that when you trusted in who Jesus is and what he did for you, when you trusted in that alone for your salvation, that very moment when you were born again, that very moment when you received new life in Christ, eternal life in Christ, that very moment when you were justified, you stood before God righteous like you had never sinned and you never will. That's how God viewed you. That very moment, you were placed in union with Christ. You were literally positioned in union with Jesus Christ, a genuine, literal union. It's kind of hard to understand. It's somewhat ethereal or conceptual, right? So Paul, uh, God has Paul give us two really good, uh, same object lesson in two places, in Ephesians and Philippians, and you've heard this, I'm sure, but um, Christ is the head and we are the, the body, that's a pretty strong illustration, right? I have a head. Currently, it is attached to my body. I'm very thankful for that. Bad things happen when my head is not attached to my body. All right? And so Christ is our head, and we're the body, and you're the body. I don't know. I might be a finger. You might be a thigh, eyeball, mouth. But that's the illustration. Now, that's pretty united, isn't it? Currently, my head is united to my body. That's a strong union. That's what our union with Jesus Christ means. The very same thing. It's oneness. One single unified thing. That's who we are when we've trusted Christ as Savior. And this genuine union that we have with Christ, it is a doctrinal concept, but it's so much more. It's a, it's a doctrinal consolation to us. This is what he says. If there is, or since there is consolation in Christ, there's comfort that comes from this union with Jesus Christ. There's hope. Paul encourages the church here at Philippi and you and I this morning to live in that. Like, not to just think, well, yeah, that's a truth. That's a fact. I can answer that on a Sunday school test. How is it going to affect your life today and tomorrow and the next day? Because it should. I love catechisms. Um, they are a question-answer format of teaching. Uh, we've begun giving like a kid's catechism book to uh, our 
parents when they dedicate their child to the Lord. I, I think they're just really helpful. I had them in uh, Christian school when I was growing up. In Bible class, we would have catechisms where they ask a question, and, they, and you, as a uh, class, you would recite the answer. I mean, just it gets doctrinal truth into you. It's a good thing to do around uh, the family dinner table or family devotions. I've got some modern-day ones that are uh, apps on your phone, and I encourage you to use them. But here's a really old one. It's called the Heidelberg Catechism, and the very first question is this. What is your only hope, or what is your only consolation in life and death? What's your only source of comfort in life and death? Asking that of a Christian. Now, this is a really long sentence. Like, if I wrote this in English class, I would get a bunch of red marks for a run-on sentence, but I want you to pay attention to it, all right? So, here it is. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I with body and soul, both in life and in death. I'm not my own, but I belong unto my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That's union. Who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sin. And he's delivered me from the power of the devil. And he so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly father, not a hair can even fall from my head. Yea, all things must be subservient to my salvation. And therefore by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life. And he makes me sincerely willing uh, and ready from here on out to live for him. Long sentence, right? Woo, but there's a lot of good stuff in there. <laughs> a lot of union. That's union with Jesus Christ, amen. That's union with Jesus Christ. I belong to Jesus Christ. That is the union we've sung about this morning. That if you've trusted Christ, not what you can do, not you going to church, not you doing good works, you're good outweighing your bad, but you've trusted in what Jesus did for you that we sung about this morning, and that alone for your salvation, you are in union with Christ and forever. There's nothing that can break that. It's an eternal thing, amen. That's the most blessed part of it that I'm justified in Christ by his grace and through faith alone. Now, it, that consolation, he describes it in the rest of verse 1. Comfort of love. Do you find comfort from the love of God, especially in Jesus Christ? I mean, the, the songs we've sung, when you survey the wondrous cross, uh, there's love there. Is there any greater depiction of love that you can think of? No, that's why it moves you. That's why God uses it in the gospel to, to call people to new life and to trust Christ as Savior. There's comfort in God's love. There's a communion or a fellowship, it says here, with the Holy Spirit. That's what it's talking about. Holy Spirit. I mean, we're given Christ in us when we are born again, when we trust Christ as Savior. We are all recipients, it says here, of, of the bowels and mercies. Again, bowels meaning affections. And it's an old King James word, but I remember there was a time I've, I felt it in my bowels. I still do every once in a while, right? Yeah. You know when you first fell in love. That's why they use that term. But that's what we receive from God. We have that level of compassion from God, and we see it in Jesus Christ. This is all ours. It's what we celebrate this morning in, a, in what is a very powerful uh, portrayal, the Lord's Supper. We celebrate all of these things in verse 1. Consolation, comfort of love, fellowship with the Holy Spirit, and not just alone, but together, and, and God's affections toward us and his mercies. We take the bread that represents, memorializes his body that he broke for us on the cross, and take the cup, represents, memorializes, symbolic of his blood, and we literally take it into ourselves. I didn't know we were, like a lot of our Sunday school material was about this today. I had no idea. 
but um, when Ben was teaching the class I go to, it's just so amazing. Like, I never thought of it this way. Um, but he said at the end, um, we disbelieved in the Garden of Eden, and we ate in disobedience. And now we eat in obedience, but because we have believed. We don't eat to be saved. Um, we, we eat to celebrate obedience by what we've believed about God. We're no longer disbelieving. We're no longer doubting God and then in eating in disobedience. I thought it was such a, a powerful uh, phrase that he said there. And it's not for salvation. We don't do this for salvation. We do it because we have been saved. This is a celebration of union with Christ for those who have been united to Christ. And faith, have faith in who he is and what he's done for them on the cross and forgiving them sins and giving them eternal life. So why is this so important? Look, this is so vital to comprehend this union and not just be a doctrinal concept or a a mental ascent because from this understanding that I am united to Christ, from it flows the ability to live in union with each other. That's why it's that important. Because from my position in Christ, united with Christ, then comes the power for me to live practically in union with other followers of Jesus Christ. This is what he's talking about here in verses two through four. Paul says, fulfill ye my joy. If you want to know what would make Paul happy, if you want to know what makes a pastor happy, and that's not why you should do it alone. Ultimately, it makes God happy. It gives God glory. But this is what you should do. Be like-minded. Have the same love. Be of one accord, of one mind. We got four different realities in verse one. These are all yours if you've been, if you trusted Christ as Savior. These are all real things for you. Now he gives us four specific practices in verses two through four that we're supposed to do. He says, look, be one in mind. Be one in what you love. Be one uh, in the fellowship you have with the Spirit. One in spirit. One in purpose. This is what we're called to do. Because of God's love, based on my union with Christ. You've responded to Christ as as Savior, and you recognized his love for you. What happens when I realize that God loves you? Guess what I need to do? I need to love you too. (laughs) What happens when I realize that the Holy Spirit of God, because you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit of God is living inside of this believer? Well, it's going to demand a little respect and reverence, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, the Holy Spirit of God is in that. That's why he's talking about fellowship of the Spirit here and being one, and when it says uh, being of one accord, it's being one in spirit, one in purpose. All these things so important. You know, in 1 John, we went through those epistles, but in 1 John 4, verses 20 and 21, I'm sure you remember, these are familiar verses. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother. He's a liar. That's what God says. For he that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can he say that he loves God whom he has not seen? And this is a commandment that we have from him, that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. So three times here in verses two through four, three times we're told to be like Minded, we're encouraged, exhorted to live. Not just agree with the truth that I'm united to Christ, but live out that union with Christ Live it out in union with other Christians. Three times we're told that the key to living this way is to be like-minded. That's why it's so important. You have to realize positionally your union with Christ so you can live practically in union with Christians. And I think a lot of times our failure to live practically in union with Christians is because we've either forgotten or something's gotten away of us realizing our position 
in union with Christ. What does it mean? What does this one mind mean that he keeps talking about here in verses two to four? What is this one mind that we are all to coalesce into? What's the mind of Christ? That's what he says in verse five, right? Let this mind be in you. Only one. Not a bunch of different options. Let this mind be in you, the one that was also in Christ Jesus. And then he describes it. We'll look at that in a second. But this is a single-mindedness that we have to get on board with as a believer. We get a testimonial of that mind in verses 5 through 11. Again, we're going to look at that in a second. But when we do this, we're going to experience union with Jesus Christ. Life-transforming union. Consolation, comfort, fellowship of the Spirit. And we're going to experience that with each other as well. When we have this single-mindedness. Then he gives us a real uh, practical down-to-earth description in verses 3 to 4 of what this union with each other looks like or how we can live in it, how we can achieve it. Look at verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So here it is. These two verses detail what this looks like. It is you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are never doing anything for strife or for pointless self-glorification. Never doing anything for those two reasons. No, instead, with lowliness of mind, with the mind of Jesus Christ, we view each other and we view each other's needs as more important than ourselves or our own needs. This is what he details here. Verse 4, we got a definition of the experience of Christians living in union with Jesus Christ and with each other. He says it's making sure that other believers' needs are addressed. So, this is the exact same concept that about a year ago, and last fall we were going through 1 Peter, and we learned about the concept of mutual submission in Christians. Um, exact same concept that we were presented with in 1 and 2 Peter last fall. What is mutual submission? It is verse 4, lived out. That I use my time, and I use my talents, and I use my resources, which are all gifts from God, but I use them for your benefit. I use them for your benefit. And you do the same for me, and you do the same for each other, and you do the same for each other. This is the submission. This is verse 4, lived out in action. Why? Well, this is what Jesus did for us. This is what he, he's telling us here, and this is what we sung about all morning. This is what Jesus did for us. This is what Jesus calls his followers to do for each other. It is love and action. It is the mind of Christ on full display. In Romans 12, 10, Paul tells uh, that church, in us, be devoted to each other in love. We're to be devoted to each other in love. We're to outdo one another in showing honor to each other. It almost sounds like a contest, doesn't it? Not for pride, not for self-glorification, but a contest for God's glory. How can I magnify you more? Let's have a contest of how we're going to outdo each other in showing honor to each other. That's what Paul says. Be devoted to love. You guys outdo each other in showing honor to each other with no caveats, no qualifications. Did you hear anything in there? Be devoted to each other in love. Outdo one another in showing honor to each other, except when you disagree. Except when you're a Packer fan and he's a Cowboy fan. No, still got to love Cowboy fans, right, Ben? (laughs) They need it. (laughs) Except when we're a different political party. Mm. No, it's not there. 
It's not there. As believers, we are to be devoted to loving one another. Outdoing one another. Make it a contest. Because you know what happens when you make it a contest? Boy, you've got to contrast with this world. That's really the whole point of this. God's glorification, God's magnification, people coming to him. Do you know what happened when the early church did this? They did it. They did it. Um, in the midst of neighbors who slandered them. This new Christian faith, it's weird, it's a cult, it's a, you know. And they'd have people make up stuff about them, but it just never stuck because they couldn't. <laughs> and Tertullian, one of the early church fathers, he wrote in his history of the early church, he said when they would try to do that, they were just dumbfounded that their only response was, do you know what their response to Christians was? Look at how they love each other in a world that didn't know anything about that. A world that grown cold. So look at how they love each other. You know what happened? And we learn in Acts. They had all come to Pentecost. They're all, most of them Jewish people come to Pentecost from all over the world to, to worship God at that feast. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit breaks out and the gospel's preached and people become Christians. And they're like, we got to learn about this new faith. So they couldn't go home right away like they were planning on. They had to stay there. That costs money. I don't know how long it was, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, but it says... It tells us how drastic their love was for each other. People sold possessions. People sold property to make sure everybody had their needs covered. And then later they could go back home, go back to their normal jobs, plant churches all over Europe. And we're here today because of this love, because of this drastic love, because they were devoted to each other, because they were outdoing one another and showing honor to each other. Look at how they love. Man, I want somebody, if they said something about Dublin First Baptist Church, I want them, that would be their testimony. That's what Jesus wants. Look at how they love each other. It's almost weird. That's a good kind of weird. Should be different. Our contest uh, should show a contrast. And why? Why would they do it? I mean, it seems a little drastic. I'm not asking you to sell your house for anybody. I'm not. God might. I'm not. Seems a little drastic, right? But all it was was, was a, a, a reflection Albeit on a much smaller scale, what Jesus had done for them, he gave everything, didn't he? We were just saying that. It demands my soul, my life, my all. And we sing it all the time. I mean, do we mean it? This is the call to follow Jesus Christ here. This is what they did. Why do you think the gospel spread that way? Because the gospel was on full display. So look at how they love each other. This has got to be real. It's not just a Sunday game. Not something like, oh, I went to church Sunday. No, I'm good for five days. No, it's their life. It was their whole life. I used my time, my talents, my resources for your benefit. And you do the same for me. You do the same for each other. I call it a beautiful, holy homeostasis. You know what happens when I fail, though? Things get out of balance. You know what happens when you fail? Things get out of balance. Thank God there's grace and there's mercy to restore that balance. But it's what we're called to live in. It's what we're going to celebrate here this morning. Yes, our union with Jesus Christ, everything we've sung about, but also our union with each other. This is a very special thing that God has created, his body, the church. And we call it Lord's Supper. We also call it a different name. It's actually the one I prefer, right? We call it communion, right? Communion. Co-union. That's what we're celebrating here. And we do it not at home alone. We do it in community, this community together, corporately. Because what God created, look at this creation he created. It's a Molly crew, yeah. It's a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing, redeemed people. 
But if we're going to receive the consolation and the comfort and the joy that our union with Christ give us, I mean, they're there for us, but if we're going to actually experience it and live in it, and if we're ever going to live in union with each other, where people are going to say, look at how they love each other, and we got to do it God's way. Be like-minded. Have the same love. Have one accord. Have one mind. We can only battle strife and pointless self-glorification. Look, that is a daily battle for me. Self always trying to rise up. We can only battle that when we have the mind of Christ. Verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I'm going to read verses 6 through 11 here. And then um, I'm going to ask Judy to come and play um, because I just want a a moment after I read it uh, in preparation for celebrating the Lord's Supper and quiet reflection, if necessary, confession, because you, you weren't here before you got here today. Well, God's giving you a chance to get here now and respond. The union that we're called to live in with each other and that we're going to celebrate here, it flows out of our union with Christ. Listen to what he did for us. Judy, you can come on up and play. Um, Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Before we meditate on this, just for a moment, verses 5 through 11 pleads with us. And this worship format, this Lord's Supper ordinance, it pleads with us that because of our position in Christ, because of our union with Christ, because we are followers of Christ, it pleads with us to practically live in union with other followers of Jesus Christ. And you want this verse, what this section tells us? It says, you want to follow Jesus? Follow him here. Verses 5 through 11. Follow him to the cross where sin is crucified where self is crucified, where we find real life, where the world is crucified to us and us to the world. Take a few moments, read through verses 5 through 11, and worship the Lord as he calls you to respond.